Every once in a while, you'll hear something on the radio that grabs your attention, something different that speaks right to some of the thoughts you've had in the back of your mind for a long, long time. Well, this is that show. It's called Growing Bolder. It's about time that we stop seeing age as an obstacle and start seeing the many ways it can be an advantage. All it takes is a little effort, a little luck and a growing bolder mindset. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and we want to know about those things you always thought you'd do. What happened to the kind of life you always thought you'd live? This is the program that shows you it's never too late. And no matter what your situation, there is something you can do to start growing bolder. We've got plenty of examples. In fact, on this program, you're going to meet one of the greatest prog rock vocalists ever. He's the voice uh, of all the classic songs from the band Yes, John Anderson. Anderson is here to talk about an exciting project finally finished after 30 years and why he feels his new music is among his best ever. We'll introduce you to the incredible John Course in his mid-90s who will share how swimming has helped keep him physically and mentally able to live a full and active life. But first... He had the best seat in the house when the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu had a meeting of the minds, and what came out of it was life-changing. Ordinary people, extraordinary lives, growing bolder. When times are tumultuous, and boy, are they ever... Wouldn't it be something to be able to turn to, I don't know, maybe two of the brightest minds ever for some much-needed wisdom. Well, our next guest actually got to do that just a few years ago. He sat down right between Archbishop Desmond Tutu and His Holiness the Dalai Lama and moderated a conversation that generated so many eye-opening lessons that he even wrote a book about it, the title, A Book of Joy. And it's an amazing book. And he says the lessons that he learned then are even more important now. So let's welcome the author, Douglas Abrams. I know, Doug, you got to spend a lot of time with these two amazing minds. What did you learn from them? Well, uh, it was incredible to get to sit down with them uh, as the ambassador for the world, to ask them the world's questions about how can we live with more joy and happiness in our lives, especially in the face of the suffering that we inevitably experience and the suffering that we uh, we experience in our world uh, so profoundly. Um, so they taught us a lot. Um, you know, the Book of Joy... I guess one thing we, you know, the book is divided up into three parts. Uh, the first part is about uh, what is joy? How does it differ from happiness? Um, you know, how do we access it in our daily life? How do we deal then in part two with the obstacles to joy? Everything from fear and uh, anxiety to anger and sadness, all the way to illness and fear of death. And then part three of the book is about the eight pillars of joy uh, that they told us are the way that we actually experience and develop more joy in our life. Yeah, the book is great. It generated so much buzz over the last few years. People, you know, keep it by their side. It's not the kind of book you read once, but the kind you go back and look at again. But you know what I wanted to ask you mostly that, that was really interesting is that now, now it seems to be 
more powerful, more relevant. I, I, I think when the Black Lives Matter movement responded so strongly to the, the George Floyd situation and the protests began to, to take place all over the country, is that when you thought, wait a minute, this book needs to be back out there? What, what were you thinking? Well, actually, I mean, the the book was called The Antidote to the Times when it came out, uh, because obviously this is, uh, you know, the, the intensity of what we're experiencing. We've been dealing with so much polarization, so much pain, so much uh, oppression for a long time in our country and in the world. Uh, so honestly, it's kind of a continuum, but, uh, with the pandemic and with the, the racial politics that are happening, uh, there's, uh, so much outrage and so much pain that's happening for people in their own lives and what they're seeing happening in our country that, uh, you know, what these two men who are two of the greatest activists in the world who have lived and stood up into the face of oppression, um, both in terms of the racist regime in South Africa for Archbishop Tutu and uh, the invasion of China into Tibet in the case of the Dalai Lama. They have a lot to tell us about how we can find, we don't have to surrender our joy in the face of opposition, in the face of suffering. And that in fact, in a time of political unrest and social oppression, joy is a revolutionary act. Boy, it's it's so interesting because basically what you're talking about and what your book deals with, I mean, it's human rights. It's, it's basic human mm-hmm. rights. I mean, that's such a big part of the conversation and it really is who both of them are and what they've been through. How does that fit into where we are now with uh, racial unrest and facing pandemics? Uh, how do we how do we pull nuggets from them out that can help us now? Well, I think we so there are basically four fundamental human emotions. There's fear, anger, sadness, and joy. And I think when we're experiencing suffering in our own lives or we're experiencing the suffering of others in our world, we feel like we have to be angry, we need to be afraid, we need to be sad. Those are things that naturally come to us. And they're totally understandable human emotions. They evolve as natural responses to try to move us to do something different. And we want to really understand and harness those emotions for transforming our lives and transforming our country and the world. At the same time, we feel like, you know, somehow we're embarrassed to be happy. We're embarrassed to claim our, to be joyful when we're suffering or, or more, even more profoundly when we see so much suffering from other people. But I think what the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu remind us is we don't have to surrender our joy uh, to be able to move forward and create more justice in our world. We don't have to surrender our joy in order to deal with the pain that we're experiencing. Uh, And I think they are two people who have faced so much opposition, whether it's political uh, oppression or even physical illness in the case of Archbishop Tutu. But they remind us that in the face of that uh, pain and that uh, and that fear and that anger and that sadness, we can actually still hold on to and claim our joy. 
It's remarkable. You know, you can hear that, and we've all heard that before in our lives. But to talk to two people who have experienced it—I mean, really experienced mm-hmm. it—it it, it means something different because they pointed out that a lot of our outlook, the way we define where we are, comes from our own attitude or our own perspective, and that's what makes the difference as to whether we see things as, uh, oh, we're caught in the middle of a time of strife or, hey, we're caught in the middle of an opportunity for change. Is that is that where they, they say to look? Well, you mentioned the word perspective, which is actually absolutely fundamental. Uh, you know, it's the first pillar of the eight pillars of joy that they gave us uh, in the book of joy. And how we see our life and our world is, uh, and are the perspective that we we have on it could not be more fundamental uh, to uh, to any sense of lasting joy. And what they reminded us is that you know inevitably there's going to be heartache and heartbreak in our life. But if we're able to stand back and take a longer view, whether it's a longer view of our own individual pain or it's a longer view of the you know what what um, Martin Luther King said, the long arc of history, and we're able to see the suffering and the oppression that is happening now in the context and in that larger sweep, then that heartache and that heartbreak takes its proper place. It doesn't mean it goes away. Uh, It doesn't mean we don't have to deal with it, but it doesn't have to become all consuming and we can have heartache without and heartbreak without being broken. Yeah, I think one of the things is at times like this makes you fearful. You know, you, we're not sure. Are we in the middle of just a time of chaos or are we actually in the middle of a time of growth or evolution or change? Is, is there a way we can tell the difference? Well, yeah, I think, you know, inevitably there has to be breakdown before there's breakthrough. Um, we have to have some... Uh, tumult and um, chaos in order to create new forms and new structures and to take us to a a different future. And I think how painful that breakdown is, uh, is often up to us in our own life, or it's up to our society in our, when we're dealing with larger social issues like racial justice in our society. So did you do that, Doug? Did you, did you sit there and wa- watch all of these things unfold on the TV like the rest of us and said, oh, my gosh, I, I get it now. That's what they were trying to tell me? Well, um, I've been very fortunate to be involved in the racial justice movement since working, you know, since being in college and uh, being involved in the anti-apartheid struggle. Um, I had the privilege of working with some of the racial justice leaders like uh, Brian Stevenson uh, for, on his book, Just Mercy, and Jennifer Eberhardt on her book, Biased. So I've been very fortunate to be a, li- a little more sensitized than some to uh, the racial inequity and uh, oppression that exists in our country. Um, you know, I, I actually asked Brian Stevenson, you know, who could help us understand and stop these uh, police shootings. And he told me to go work with Jennifer Eberhardt. So uh, who wrote the book Biased, which is a really profound and important book for our times right now. Uh, But I think that all of us who are not African American are still trying to understand and learn what it is that it, it, what is like to be African American in this country country and the kind of uh, avert and uh, and covert the explicit and implicit ways that racial prejudice plays out in our society. And so I think we're all getting an education. We're all learning. 
Do you think, Douglas, do you have an, in, in your heart of hearts or in your mind, do you say, okay, look, this has happened. Here's what we need to do to make sure we take best advantage of it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, 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 there was listening is really important right now, understanding what's going on in our society, um, looking at all the places that, that uh, racial inequities exist in our society. Um, it's obviously not just in policing, it's in criminal justice uh, system more generally, it's in healthcare, it's in our schooling systems. And I think we need to uh, look at that bias across the society. And then ultimately, we need to look at the inequities that drive that bias, because as Jennifer Eberhard, who's a, a brain, you know, who's a scientist and psychologist at Stanford explains, bias is built into our brain. We're not going to get out of that bias, uh, but our biases just reflect what we see in the world around us. So ultimately, while we can be more conscious of our bias and try not to act on our bias because they're more triggered by our environment, Ultimately, we need to deal with the fundamental inequities that drive that bias. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've heard the Dalai Lama talk before about, he goes, well, you know, you're asking me big questions about societal issues, but it all starts with the individual. And it all starts mm-hmm. with our own journey to find self-satisfaction, self-realization, as you say, to find joy. Uh, once we do start on a path to find those things through the eight pillars, then a lot of those other things tend to fall away. Is, is that the way you see it? Well, I, I think it's both from the inside out and the outside in. Um, we need to change ourselves, transform ourselves, have that breakthrough uh, in ourselves so that we can uh, live with more joy and compassion and generosity in our own lives, uh, as well as to create the change the social structures that allow us to be uh, more joyful, more generous, more compassionate. Uh, you know, the kinds of schools that we create for our society, you know, the Dalai Lama said during the interview that, you know, we have this kind of schooling system, which is all about individual achievement. It's very little about social, emotional development and growth and uh, understanding our interconnectedness with one another. And so we become a part of the machine. We become a part of uh, the society where we become dehumanized in a way that we're, we lose that core humanity, our shared humanity. So we do need to, we need to find it and claim it in our own lives, but we also have to to create it in our institution so it's more readily available to future generations. Doug, did they deal much with the issue of leadership, uh, where to look for it, where to find it, where they emerge? Because it seems like that's where we have a bit of a void now. Yeah, I think moral leadership is huge. I think these two men are kind of the antithesis of some of the autocracy and uh, bullying that we see uh, in our country and around the world uh, by political figures. Uh, They're so humble. They're so recognizing their role as servant leaders. Uh, and, you know, from a place of humility, the second pillar of uh, joy after, uh, after perspective is humility and recognizing that, that, you know, that we're all in this together, that we have this shared humanity, uh, that our leaders are, you know, kind of, you know, that we have more uh, similarities and we have differences and that leadership needs to be about bringing us together and not dividing us. That is part of their fundamental message for sure. 
Well, the Book of Joy is not just a great book. It's an important book. It really speaks to what we're going through now, both as a nation and also as individuals. So if you had to give us a takeaway, a, a message that you feel strongly that we need to hear right now in these times, what would it be? I think uh, joy is your birthright uh, and you don't need to surrender it no matter what you're experiencing in your life or in the world. And actually from from that joy, you can be more effective in your life and in the political stances you want to take in the world. Uh, so I think this uh, the Book of Joy really is a manual for living, not just about having more joy, but uh, being a more compassionate, generous empowered human to contribute to the world around us. Man, Doug, what, what a great conversation. What a rare and enlightening opportunity to be able to truly learn from these two amazing people and, and you as well, Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama, both of whom have suffered themselves, but also managed to find peace and courage and joy, mostly joy out of out of all of their experiences. And best of all, I think they believe that we can do it too. And that makes a big difference. So our thanks to Douglas Abrams for creating the Book of Joy. Check it out, folks. It's a tremendous read. Thanks, Doug. Up next, we'll meet the incredible John Course and hear how swimming has helped him thrive into his 90s and how it even may have helped him fight back against COVID. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Our partners at Florida Blue Medicare. It's important to know what's covered, so together we've created a guide that makes Medicare easy to understand. More information at growingbolder.com slash guide. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingbolder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. I'm Bill Shaver with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Boulder, and we have talked time and time again about the advantages of exercising, especially doing something like swimming, how it can help you not just live better, but it can actually help you fight back from the things that attack us as we get older. We call it the power of prehabilitation, and we're going to introduce you now to, uh, at least this year, our poster boy for the power of prehabilitation. His name is John Course, uh, and despite the fact that he has a litany of underlying health issues, at 96 years old, he battled back from COVID-19. Listen to this. You know, John, I want to talk about a lot of stuff, but 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 first share with us your your COVID experience, because as we've all heard many, many times, it, you know, is especially threatening to people over the age of 60 and 70 and 80 and and certainly a guy in his mid 90s. What was that experience like? Well, it wasn't a whole lot of fun. I went in first to uh, mail with atrial fibrillation. And then when they checked me, they found I had COVID. So I stayed in the hospital about another 10 days while they medicated me. And um, it really knocked me down pretty hard. But I was able to get up and get out and go home. Uh, still suffer a little from shortness of breath but and pretty weak. But I'm feeling, feeling pretty good. 
You're looking really good. And, um, you know, if we haven't said it yet, we should tell everybody out there that you are 96 year old, six years old. What did your physician say? What did your doctor say when you were diagnosed about the, the, the prognosis and, and, and after your recovery, are they amazed? They, they didn't tell me anything about prognosis while I was there. I knew what all the publicity said, that you know, if you're over 85, you got underlying physical conditions, you're in special risk. So I was aware of what was going on, but um, I never really felt threatened. I thought, you know, it's just another one of those things you have to go through. I've been through lots of them in my life so far. So uh, I just hung in there and did whatever they told me to do. You are a good patient, and you mentioned underlying conditions. Before we talk about what I think is the reason for your recovery, my non-medical opinion, you know, we should share everybody that, you know, over the past few years, you have had bacterial endocarditis, temporal arteritis, sleep apnea, atrial fibrillation, a compression fracture in your lower spine. You've got a weak mitral valve. Uh, and of course, you 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 had COVID, and, and here you are at 96 years old. Uh, recovering. I think I know why you recover, but 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 tell us, why do you think you're able to continue to not just bounce back, but maintain a quality of life that you obviously enjoy? Well, I think the main reason is I've always managed to stay active. I've been, you know, started out as a swimmer when I was two or three years old and progressed on through high school and college swimming. Um, and then I laid off for about 50 years, but I continued to play a little tennis, a little golf, stayed very active. And then finally got back to Jacksonville. My friend Tiger Holmes persuaded me to join the Masters Swimming Program. And that really put me back into shape. And I think that's the reason that I was able to survive this thing is that my body was still strong enough to fight off whatever it is they're giving us. Well, you know, that's what we call prehabilitation here at Growing Boulder. And, you know, it's one of the things I believe in with all my heart. And that is the fact that, uh, you know, unfortunately, we're human beings. Part of the biological condition is that we will experience a series of physical setbacks as we age. It's it's inevitable. We'll finally experience a period of decline and to a large extent, uh, your ability to recover from those setbacks and the extent and speed of your your recovery afterwards is determined by your overall health and fitness uh, at the time. So I think it's important, folks, to note that John Course at 96 years old uh, is not a superhuman being. He's a guy uh, that has a litany uh, of physical issues, but he continues to bounce back, A, because he's prehabilitated, and B, because he's got this mind that is, you know, is really, really remarkable. So, uh, John, you say swimming is what uh, helped you bounce back. Do you think you'll ever be able to get back in the pool again? Well, I've been already back in the pool, not <laughs> very fast, but uh, I have trouble with my flutter kick because in addition to all the other complaints, I hurt my back by leaning over too long. So it hurts me when I try to kick, but I just get in the pool and paddle around, go up and down, walk back and forth. And I, I think I'll be able to, whether I'll be able to go off a diving board again, I don't know, but I'll try. 
I will try. There you go. At 96 years old, it's that attitude that keeps people moving forward. And, uh, you know, I've done a couple of videos uh, with John and, you know, he just inspired and amazed me because uh, when I was at the pool with him on two separate occasions, I think he was part of maybe four different world record relay teams. Uh, do you keep track of your records, John? Uh, where do you stand with those? How many have you broken? Oh, Lord, I don't know. I don't know. Four or five. I'm I'm proud of one individual national record though. I, I think I still hold the 50 meter or 50 yard breaststroke for the 80 to 85. Good for you. It's it's still up after 10 years. That's a good record. Uh, one of these times we talked after you set a world record, uh, your relay team was going to go out and celebrate and uh, uh, you know have a drink or two. But you said you couldn't because you were on heart medication. Um, uh, what's your lifestyle like now? Do you do you do you have a, a drink of alcohol uh, at all? Uh, what, what's your diet like? My diet's pretty good, just a normal diet, a lot of fruit and eggs, and you know, just normal stuff. Salad. Um, they tell me I have me off alcohol, which I regret because it's like I'm a good shot of scotch late in the afternoon to pick up your spirits. You know, that, and are you still practicing law? Because I know you had a very long and successful law career. Is it still underway? Well, I still have one paying client. And uh, he gives me an office and a computer and a place to go to. So I guess you could stay. I'm still practicing, but not very hard. Yeah, amen. You've You've earned the right to relax a little bit. So... You know, one of the discussions I was having with somebody recently was about physical therapists in the aftermath of surgeries for older people and, uh, you know, discouraging older people from even attempting to walk without a walker, encouraging them to get into wheelchairs, you know, that physical therapists in general overdose their patients in terms of what they want them to do. What do you say about the ability of, of, of a 96 year old in general to bounce back from stuff? Do, do you, you say you keep pushing forward, right? Yeah. You've got to keep moving. I've worked with a number of physical therapists and they encourage you to move, but at your own pace, you're not trying to push too hard. I think that's the main thing. But the worst thing you can do is get on a walker into a wheelchair. That, to me, is just a death sentence because you start hanging all over like this and you can't stand up straight. Uh, that's just crazy. You don't want that old rocking chair to get you. Well, if there's one thing we know about you, John, is you can stand up straight. I asked you about that, and you said it's primarily the, the result of your daily Pilates routine. <laughs> yeah, that is also because I spent 12 years in the service. And you had to stand up straight, even though I leaned over a lot while I was in the submarines for five years. <laughs> hey, hey, John, give us a takeaway. What's 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 the moral of your story? Uh, and you know, we're not looking. Uh, to set any world records, but we're just trying to to be able to have a quality of life into our 90s. Uh, you know, what do you think is the best advice that you can share with people? Just keep moving. That's the main thing. You've got to keep moving and, and keep trying new things. Uh, I, I think it's just, it's a challenge, but it's not, not really that hard if you set your mind to it. 
And having friends that are working with you at the same time is, is really important. Otherwise, you can find a thousand reasons not to pull the date if you don't have somebody else there waiting for you. You know, I'm glad you added that, John, because I was going to say that, you know, whenever I've seen you, I've I've been envious of of, of the posse that you hang out with. You know, uh, you've got a great group of friends. And as I've learned, you've got a great family uh, that supports you and surrounds you with love. And uh, so I think those are important things as well. Hey, John, it's great to talk to you. Uh, let's stay in touch. Uh, I hope I can see you on a on a pool deck, if they ever allow us back, uh, you know, to host a meet again, I look forward to seeing you on the pool again. Right. I look forward to it. All right, John, you're a good guy. Thank you for your inspiration and all you do. Isn't he an inspiring guy? And, you know, I just love the fact, Bill, in the interview when I said, do you think you'll ever get back in the pool? And he said, oh, Mark, I'm already back in the pool. You know, not that I didn't believe that, but he emailed me a video the next day of him swimming back and forth in the pool. So at 96 years old, coming back from COVID, despite the fact that he had all of those issues, that speaks to the power of preparing for life's physical setbacks. You know, you're the one that opened my mind and a lot of our listeners, too, to the powers of swimming. I never knew anything about it. I never even knew master swimming was such a supportive and vibrant community. You've been a swimmer all your life. But that doesn't mean that you can't start now at no matter what level you're at. No, it's absolutely true. You don't have to be a competitive swimmer like, like John Corsa. Uh, you know, just getting in, the water supports you. It's buoyant. Uh, it's easy on your joints. It's good for your cardiovascular system. And it's great for your brain, Bill. You know, you get highly oxygenated from the top of your head to your toes. And there's no better example of the benefits of prehabilitation than John Corsa. Up next, a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. Kind of a roundabout way to tell you who, but I've seen all good people, and he's not fragile. Even though he was once the owner of a lonely heart. Well, sorry for the long-distance runaround, but did you figure out who's up next? We're close to the edge, so I'll just say this is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Hi, I'm Mark Middleton from Growing Boulder with a special message about the upcoming election. This message is not about supporting any particular candidate. It is, though, about supporting the Affordable Care Act and Medicare. This election is far more than just a hotly contested presidential race. For nearly two million Floridians, our families, friends, and community members, it could mean losing affordable, quality health care if the Affordable Care Act is not protected. The Affordable Care Act has been providing quality, affordable health care to those with pre-existing conditions. It's been reducing life-saving prescription drug costs for Medicare Part D members and covering important cancer screenings. 
the kinds of procedures that allow our great doctors and healthcare providers to catch health issues early enough to not only save our lives, but also billions of dollars in healthcare costs. Don't let COVID-19 keep you from casting your vote. It's not only your right, it's your responsibility. As you know, there are many ways to vote in Florida, and here are a few tips from our friends at Florida Blue Medicare. Vote by mail. It's a great, safe, and secure option if you're a caregiver or uncomfortable in public settings. Make sure that you request a ballot, though, as soon as possible. However you vote, vote early. Crowds are usually smaller, lines are shorter, and the post office isn't as busy. If you're one who likes to vote on election day, try to avoid times when crowds may be larger, such as lunchtime or before work or after work. And remember, wear a mask, maintain social distance, and sanitize your hands thoroughly after touching services. Your voice matters, so vote on or before November 3rd and vote like your health and your health care depend upon it. Welcome back to Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton. And, and, you know, we have internally what we call content franchises. These are themes that we continue to to mine because uh, they, they produce great stories. And one of my favorites is one that uh, Bill Schaefer handles, and that's called Boulder Backstage. Uh, he has an opportunity to chat with uh, some of the greatest musicians of our lifetime. Uh, and recently, he had one that, for me, really ranks right up there. He got to hang out with Rock and Roll Hall of Famer John Anderson, who of course, was the voice of the rock group, Yes, and maybe uh, the voice of progressive rock itself, Bill. Yeah, and the reason we do it is not just hanging around these cool people, but it's to see what they're like at this stage of life. And at 75, Mm. you won't believe it. John is as energetic, driven, and prolific as ever. I met up with him at Solar Studio in Orlando, where he's completing an album he started nearly 30 years ago. It's called A Thousand Hands for all the top musicians who played on it with him. Now, we talked about his feelings for Yes, how a near-death experience changed his outlook on life, and about the album that he worried he never might finish if it wasn't for Grammy-nominated producer Michael Franklin. You know what I wanted to start with? Just talk a little bit about why you're here. Um, I think it's all Michael's fault because he got in touch with me about a year ago. He asked me about this project I started 27 years ago, 28 years ago. So it was kind of funny that the tapes got put in my garage and I forgot about them because I was on tour with with Yes and... uh, recording other albums and things like that. To activate the thing into now, I just need to change the violin note. It's, it's, you sure? So Michael, bless him, uh, we got together in California where I live, and uh, he said, why don't you come over to Orlando and uh, do some work on the tapes and uh, make, uh, make the music happen. It needs to be a little softer, doesn't it? Like, yeah. as far as, like, sound. Yeah. Do you want me to wait a couple before I come in? No, come in right, right in. Like a bull in a china shop. It's been an ongoing 27 years later. We're finishing it. It's kind of crazy. To be as passionate as you are about 
creating yeah. at this stage in your life? Well, these are the best years because, you know, the, gosh, what else am I going to do? <laughs> it's kind of, I'm creating more than I ever created musically and, and I just added some more harmonies here and there. I think I re-sang two songs. And uh, so we're sort of finishing the album over the next month or so and trying to get it into, uh, into the world this coming spring. Are we sort of ready-ish? So when you went through your health scare, yeah. um, what did that do to you? Well, well, we all go through it. We all go through some problems health-wise. It's, it's part of life, you know. And my wife, God bless her, Jane, my Janie, she uh, saved my life. Uh, I, I just stopped breathing. I had this uh, very strong cough, that wheezing, and all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. And I staggered around in, in my house, and she helped me. And then they put me in a coma for four days. And that was that episode. It was a very funny year, 2008. Uh, I nearly drowned Christmas, uh, the New Year's Eve of 2008 in Kauai. And uh, then I had this episode of uh, stopping breathing. And, uh, and then I had a, another problem that came through. And I think it was a combination of things that made me have to have uh, uh, seven operations, one, one every three weeks, over a period of four months. And, uh, you know, they just fixed my, my machine, my innards and stuff. And uh, I've never been healthier or happier in my life. What about the mental games that must have played with your head? Well, I, I didn't worry too much. My wife Janie did, you know, and my kids, of course. Uh, but I, I just thought if, if, uh, if uh, I'm able to come out of this alive and uh, I'll get on with the great work. Because I always think there's great music to create and there's always great m music to be done. And that's what pushes me along, you know, the idea that you can't say, oh, I'm going to go in the studio and make some music that's not as good as it was five years ago or 10 years ago or 20, 30 years ago. No, I always think the next stuff I'm going to do is just going to be amazing. Because why not? You know, you can't think on any other sort of level, really. So many people, John, see life, many people in your industry, too, see as a slippery slope. You know, after 30, 40, you're kind of like riding the wave. How do you look at... the opposite way. What is it like in your 70s? Well, uh, as I say, I'm healthier. Uh, I sing as strong as ever. I have a great um, friendship with a lot of musicians throughout my career. And uh, I hold them very dear. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting that sometimes you, like a family or a brother, musical brothers, we call each other, you know. 
and sometimes you don't agree with each other and sometimes you don't see each other for two or three years and then you get back together and so on. So music always brings you together. It's the music that uh, makes it all worthwhile. Was it a blow when Yes moved on without you? Well, at the time, I was, I'm a very strong-willed guy. You know, when uh, Chris and Steve decided to throw me out of the band because I wasn't able to tour, I just said, okay, I'm going to go on tour as a solo artist. Some are born to run, some are born to fly. It's the essence of the love built in every man. Some are born something else that you have discovered that fascinates me, and, and I don't think enough people really get it because there's a lot of misconceptions about it, right. is meditation, the power of meditation. Yeah, yeah we all do it in different forms. There's prayer, uh, that time of silence in your mind and when you're sitting in a garden or something like that. I just learned to, over the years, uh, and I was fortunate enough to get a, a spiritual teacher uh, to come into my life and... Uh, teach me how to meditate um, sort of very deeply. You're so unlike, do you, do you see this, unlike most rock stars? Uh, you seem I to, don't know that many. You but, seem to yeah. have a real curiosity and affection for people yeah. where many try to isolate. Well, we, you know, when, when you get success, you tend to think this is all that is. And then when all of a sudden you realize... You know, the world is uh, full of so many incredible adventures and you've got to learn to experience them. And that's what I started doing probably mid-70s. You know, I just started to wonder why. So not only do you see things like that, right. which many of us miss, you are able to avoid so many traps that your peers have gone through. Drug yeah. addiction. Yeah, yeah. You were never in, in drug issues were you? Not really. No, I, I used to, you know, I smoked marijuana, I loved that, and I enjoyed drinking, and then all of a sudden I said, okay, I've had enough of that, I'll just get on with life, and then I met my, my second wife, who's my angel. Okay. Just mix them down into the song. about life from what John Anderson has seen. It's very simple. We, we only live for one thing and one thing alone, and that is to find the divine energy within you that is connected to the divine energy that surrounds us. You said something we'll end with that you said at the very beginning. You've done major albums. Yeah, You've created yeah. beautiful... This is the best time of your life. Yeah, yeah. I can't start thinking it's not. It is the best time. It's, uh, for me, more adventurous. I just, I just said, I went on the Avatar thing here in Disney World, me and my wife, and it was like, I can't believe I'm flying, flying with the dragons and Pandora. 
You're not afraid. It's unbelievable. You're not afraid of new things. You're not afraid no, to no, take no, no. risks. You're no, not technology is amazing. You know. You're not afraid to fail. No, no, no. I've done that many times. And you have a lot more you want to do and a lot yeah, more yeah. you want to say. A lot. Well, just keep on going. Yeah. Enjoy life. Thank you. Man, that was fun, Bill. Thank you for sharing that. Of course, folks, the album is out now. It's called 1,000 Hands. And, and what an interesting guy. Excited about his latest album. Excited about his life. He's even excited about visiting Disney World at 75. He says this is the best time of his life. He's energetic and curious, and he seems so comfortable in his own skin. You know, many celebrities, certainly rock stars, they do whatever they can to try to act young as they can. You know, it can be a tough business, but John not only doesn't hide his age, he celebrates it. Yeah, and here's something else worth noting. I don't know whether Bill would tell you this, but, uh, you know, Florida has become a very popular place for rock stars of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. They come and record, and it's because of Solar Studio in Orlando, which is run by a friend of Bill's. Musicians, great ones, Hall of Famers, as you just saw from all over the world, come here to create and to do what they love. Mark, you've had something you've wanted to say all program long, haven't you? Let's see if we can get him to let us know what's on his mind next. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. Hi, Mark Middleton. Welcome back to Growing Boulder. And here's what's on my mind today. Um, friendship. Love. And if that sounds silly, I say it without apology because I love this radio program. I love this radio station. I love Bill Schaefer. Uh, I love all of you out there, you know, and, and I feel good saying it, and that's why love is such a powerful feeling. It's great for our health. You know, as we get older, it's important that we surround ourselves with those who share our enthusiasm for life, because get this, research reveals that those with a positive attitude about aging live on average seven and a half years longer. But even more important than that, those years can be filled with health and happiness. And it's not just enough to be positive. We have to avoid negativity uh, because it's now been proven that negative thinking spreads far more easily and more quickly than positive thinking. I mean, you've seen this. Negative thinking leads to uh, anxiety and depression, low self-esteem, unhealthy behaviors, and ultimately it will lead to sickness. So as we begin to encounter the challenges of age, Positivity is important, but avoiding negativity is crucial. I call good friends the sickness, depression, 
and cognitive decline vaccine. And this is a vaccine with no bad side effects at all. While it's important to have friends, folks, they have to be the right kinds of friends because health-related attitudes, both positive and negative, spread like wildfire through social networks. A good friend doesn't just listen. A good friend encourages and celebrates and supports your wild and crazy ideas. So if your friends don't encourage and support you, you've got the wrong friends. There is an ever-increasing group of active, passionate, engaged older adults who talk about opportunity instead of disability. These are the age disruptors. You better find them, and you better hang out with them like your life depends upon it. Because it does, at least the quality of your life. And, and Bill, you know, researchers have shown us that when you love, when you experience feelings of love, it doesn't have to be romantic love, just friendship. It lowers your blood pressure. It improves your immune system. Uh, it, it prevents depression. So try to find a way to have good friends that you love to some extent. And don't get us wrong either, folks. Don't think that Mark and I don't realize that there are so many reasons not to be positive. You don't feel as good as you do, maybe, or you have more aches and pains, or you have a financial worries, or you have family concerns. But it's all about perspective. How do you face those issues? Do you wake up ready to solve problems, ready to help deal with differences, ready to push forward, ready to learn new things, try to Deal the cards that you've been dealt. That's what it's about. It's not about avoiding pain and avoiding heartache. It's about how to handle it, how to take the lumps in the road along with all the great things that happen in the road. It's not about eliminating negativity from your life. It's about eliminating it from your mindset. Uh, the secret to successful aging is is to not mourn what's lost, but to celebrate what remains. And what remains can be amazing. Get out there. Do the things you wanted to do. Connect with the people you want to be around. You can find information, inspiring interviews, videos, and more at growingbolder.com. Folks, find out what a difference it can make in your life to have hope and inspiration and possibility. Get out there, folks. Start Growing Bolder. See you next time. The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder, LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, going high and mighty trap. Countless fire and flaming road, using ideas as my map. Said I